We have a special emphasis this morning on uh, the fact that Jesus Christ is uh, the light of the world. As you know, there are seven I am statements in uh, John's Gospel. And each of the seven I am statements uh, remind us of who Jesus Christ is and uh, of why he came. Uh, The first one is found in chapter 6 where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He's the one who sustains us, like physical food and bread sustain us. He does. And then the next one is the one we want to put a focus on. Uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And I hope by the time we're finished this consideration this morning, we'll understand the real significance of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell, uh, talk about the real meaning of Christ being the light of the world. And then in chapter 10, he said, I am the door. We enter in through him for salvation and eternal life. He said in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. He said in chapter 11, another beautiful statement from our Lord, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet he dies or she dies physically, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Christmas really uh, has a lot of very interesting traditions, and one of the traditions of Christmas is um, the beauty of the Christmas lights. We like to see them. There's a house right down here on Purnell Street. Uh, Sometimes I'm directionally challenged, so uh, I, I point the wrong way. North, south, east, west, whatever. But down Purnell Street, got that one right. (laughs) There's a house that's very beautifully decorated uh, with Christmas lights. And uh, the tradition goes way back, very interestingly, uh, especially Christmas lights on Christmas trees. Martin Luther, the spiritual leader of the Protestant Reformation, was taking a late-night December walk through the woods in Germany, and that was about 500 years ago. He was enthralled with the way the stars looked as they filtered through the branches of the evergreen trees. He said at that moment, and this has been recorded carefully, that he felt as if the hand of God touched his soul, the peacefulness and the beauty of seeing the trees with the starlights coming through, lighting. He stopped on a snow-covered rise. It was an incline, we would say, or a rise in the land, and he pondered that. He just stood there for a while. The beauty and the uh, the lighting and the uh, sense of being in God's creation and enjoying it really touched him. So he desired to duplicate that atmosphere of that evening, the outdoor scene, and he wanted to take it inside. And so he attached candle holders to the tree's limbs and wowed his family and friends with the first brightly lit Christmas tree. From this humble beginning, uh, the custom of putting candles on Christmas trees quickly swept across Germany. Craftsmen even began to make ornate candle holders that were made especially for Christmas trees. 
In fact, after that, many colored candles were soon made. And then by the mid-1800s, a Christmas tree with trimmed ornaments lit by candles became a well-established tradition in Germany and throughout Europe. However, the Christmas trees came to represent an extremely dangerous fire hazard. (laughs) Thousands of homes in Europe were burned to the ground annually. And yet people wanted to continue with that Christmas tradition. Even though firefighters encouraged people not to do it, they were just moved to have a tree with lights. The good news is that in 1879, Thomas Edison changed the way people in America light their homes. Three years after that, one of his employees, Edward Johnson, applied that new invention to the Christmas tree, and therefore Christmas trees would have light bulbs. 500 years ago, it was Martin Luther who took his children, showed them the tree, and said, the light on this tree represent the light that Jesus Christ brought into a world that was in spiritual darkness. And that is certainly true. Now, if you will turn with me uh, briefly to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I would like for you to notice a phrase with me. Another phrase, another statement showing Jesus Christ is the light of the world. In Luke chapter 1, we have the words of John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, who not only was thrilled by the fact that a son was born to him and his wife, but also he prophesied of the birth of the coming of Jesus Christ, which was to come real soon. And uh, you'll notice that passage that was read for us this morning, Luke 1. We'll pick it up at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, which John was. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. John's responsibility was to prepare people for Jesus' coming. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, watch carefully now, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Some translations translate it, with which the sunrise from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Jesus Christ is the light of the world came here to the earth to give light to those who sit in darkness. And see, people who do not have a relationship with the Lord, who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who do not have a relationship with God, the Word of God says that they sit in darkness. There's a spiritual darkness which the Lord brought us out of when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we will be saying more about this. The beauty of this passage is, and other passage related to it, is that Jesus Christ came, not only to the people of Israel, because Zechariah says, the day spring from on high, the one, the the, uh, Son of God who left the glories of heaven and came here for us, Israel, 
Not only did he come for the people of Israel, but he came for the Gentiles as well, non-Jews. So when you look at our world today, you say there's two kinds of people from God's perspective. There are Jews who are God's chosen people through whom the Messiah would come, through whom the word of God that we have came, and then they are non-Jews or Gentiles. But I like that passage. I really do. And Isaiah, you need not turn there. I just want to read it to you. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it was a prophecy on the life of Christ, and we're going to be looking in and delving into the life of Christ. It says this, Isaiah 9, In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. In other words, when Jesus came, these people in what we would call the northern part of Israel, Gentiles, not Jews, who had the scriptures, who had the understanding of the sacrifices and all these things, but the Gentiles, the non-Jews in northern land of Israel, Jesus Christ came as a light. And when we look in the Gospels, we say that those who are in Galilee often respond very well to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that Christ coming as the light, that's what we're going to remember this morning, Jesus Christ came as the light, is one of the truths that comes right out of Scripture that reminds us that when we think of Christmas, we want to think of Christ, the light of the world. And so every time you see a um, Christmas decoration and you see the lights, <laughs> remember, they point to Jesus, the light of the world. Light came into this dark world when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Christmas is about lights. The third stanza of Silent Night goes like this. Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. The last verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing goes like this. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Now for a few moments, I want to go back over to John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and you want to look with me, uh, that's a very beautiful section of Scripture as well because it focuses right at the beginning of John's Gospel on the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And John refers to Jesus uh, not only as the Word, but also as the light. And that's why we want to just glance at this section as well. The pre-existence of Jesus Christ is stated in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now you notice when you drop down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So he's glorious. He's light. He's the glorious one. But you'll notice in verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You would think that people reading the Scriptures would come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is God. He always has been. He always will be. He's God the Son. And yet there are cults and groups in our country today who struggle over who Jesus Christ is. Yet it's clearly taught in the Word of God. Two groups, and I'm going to mention them right now. Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. They do not understand who Jesus is. They do not. 
He's God, and he's God the Son. One group calls him the brother of Satan. Another group calls him a created being, which he is not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here you have the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and, of course, the Scriptures mention the Holy Spirit. His creative power is mentioned in verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. What a beautiful thing to know that the one who left heaven was born of Mary, placed in the manger. That's the eternal Son of God. It's God. God the Son. The one who created our world was willing to come here for you and for me in order to die for our sins. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth. So you see why we don't agree with those groups who claim that Jesus is not God. The Bible clearly states that Jesus is God. In fact, if you have a Bible in your hand this morning, or if you have the Bible on your phone, you realize that God has spoken and he tells us who it. And sometimes people say, well, why is it that some groups, they can't get the picture they, they, they don't understand who Jesus is. I'll tell you why. Because it takes a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart to understand what the Word of God says. And if some people come with a preconceived notion about what the Word of God says, they're not going to see it, even though it's clearly stated in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Spiritual darkness is a uh, very... Uh, difficult thing to talk about when you when you think about it spiritual darkness is more than someone in a lifestyle where god's not in the picture okay spiritual darkness is an evil power that holds people in its dominion in fact the word of god says in colossians 1:13 he god the father has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son you see, before we became Christians, we were in a, sp- a state of spiritual darkness. But Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came. Someone told you about Christ, and you believed that he came for you and that he died for your sins, and you accepted Christ, and therefore Christ took you out from the kingdom of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of his dear Son. And now that you know Christ and you're in the kingdom of God's dear son, it's amazing how God is watching over you. In fact, we had a professor at Dallas Seminary. I'll never forget what he said when he talked about this very verse where he said, you're taken out of the kingdom of darkness, you're put in the kingdom of Christ, and you're in it. And by the way, you don't get out of that. You may fail the Lord, you may falter, you may have to confess sin, but once you're saved, you're in God's kingdom, you belong to him. And here's what Dr. Pentecost used to say. He used to say, and Satan has no authority over your life. I love that. I never forgot it. I never forgot that he said that. He has no authority over your life. doesn't mean that Satan won't come and tempt us. We have to resist the devil. We have to resist temptation. Jesus did, didn't he? Matthew chapter 4. But Satan has no authority over your life. You belong to the one who left heaven and came here for you. In uh, John 1, 5, just very quickly, it says, um, And the light shines in the darkness, Jesus Christ, and the darkness did not overcome it. Some translations said did not apprehend it or comprehend it. 
The darkness did not overcome the light. And, of course, that's very clearly taught in the Word of God, and we understand that today. And, and, and the point is this, and I, I jotted this down. I thought this was interesting. It's not that the darkness failed to understand the truth about Jesus. In other words, sometimes people hear about who Jesus Christ is, but they don't want to reach out to him. They don't want his authority in their lives. Um, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Do you know that there's some people who do not want to turn to God because they don't want to get rid of their sin? Because they don't want God to take sin out of their lives? That's, that's a difficult thing to comprehend, but it's very true. It's not that the darkness failed to understand about the Lord Jesus. It knew. Those in the sphere of darkness knew who Jesus was. You know, in Matthew chapter 8, some of the demons that Jesus was about to cast out said this. What business have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Do you know that the demonic um, uh, beings at the time Christ was going to cast them out? They knew their destiny. How wonderful to know that in the future Satan and demonic forces will be bound in the lake of fire forever and ever. When Christ comes back again, we're going to rule and reign with Christ on an earth where Satan is not in control. How awesome. However, Satan and demonic forces also tried to desperately uh, to destroy the nation of Israel because through the nation of Israel, the scriptures that we have, predominantly come from those who were uh, in the nation of Israel who were guided by the Lord, the Bible. And, of course, through the nation of Israel came the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan tried much to destroy the nation of Israel. And, by the way, he's trying today, too. And you know why he's trying to destroy the nation of Israel today? Because if the nation of Israel is destroyed, then God's word would not be true. But God said he will preserve his people for all eternity. And there will always be a remnant out of the nation of Israel who will believe in him. Also at the beginning of our Lord's earthly ministry, Satan tried in vain to tempt Jesus to uh, not go to the cross. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4 you have the temptation of, uh, account. However, he also Satan also thought that he was triumphant. When Jesus died on the cross, but we know that's certainly not true. By his death, he broke the power of sin and death for us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that through death, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, might destroy the one who had the power over death, that is, the devil. Or, 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So can we remember that little truth? which is actually a big truth, the fact that Satan has no authority over our lives. In fact, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son. In fact, there's a verse in the book of James that says, when we pray, it says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will, he will flee from you. It's another amazing truth in the Word of God. James 4, 7. We submit to God. So let's create a scenario. So you're tempted to sin. You're tempted to take something you shouldn't take. You're tempted to lie. What do you do at that point of temptation? You say, Lord, I need your help. You don't have to say it out loud. 
You're tempted to lie. You're tempted to take something. You're tempted to hurt someone. At that point of time, it says, submit to God, resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? You say no to the temptation. Satan may be tempting you to do something you shouldn't do. So you say no to the temptation. Submit to God. You go to God first. And by the way, we call those quick prayers. <laughs> Boy, sometimes we really need them, don't we? <laughs> the quick prayer. You know, you get a phone call and you, what am I going to tell this person? Submit to God. Lord, help me in my communication. Say no to temptation and Satan will flee from you. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me... He who comes to me by faith and follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, spiritual darkness is around, okay? Uh, Between now and when we're in glory with the Lord, we're going to sense spiritual darkness. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is when you have some real spiritual struggles, I've had Christians come to me and say, you know, uh, I've had them say it on the phone. Uh, the devil's really been on my back this week. Well, that's a spiritual struggle, and that's spiritual darkness. And um, the, only Jesus Christ can deliver us in spiritual battles and from spiritual darkness. Just quickly, uh, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and this means Jesus is the light of the world. And this means that there is no other spiritual light besides him. We got it? In other words, there are a lot of religions in the world. There's only one Savior, your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, I am the light of the world. So therefore, if a person doesn't know Christ as Savior, that's why we need to pray for them. Because they're in spiritual darkness and they can't see that God sent his son. A lot of people will celebrate Christmas and they will think of Christmas in terms of gifts and there's nothing wrong with gifts. They will think in terms of uh, the, the uh, uh, decorations and the fun and the parties and that's Christmas. Well, you and I know that Christmas is Jesus Christ came to deliver us from darkness. He's the light of the world. I'd like to go back now very quickly to the Luke chapter 1 passage where Jesus is called the sun rising from on high. The anatole. That's the, trans, uh, that's the Greek word for the word sun rising from on high. That's Luke chapter 1 verse 79. Looking at the passage again, verse 79, Zechariah says, that the day spring 78, the day spring from on high, has visited us. First of all, we're going to look at two things here. To give light to those who sit in darkness. You know, I looked at that. I looked at that little phrase. And it just reminded me. I do know some people who daily sit in darkness. They just don't understand Jesus Christ, the light of the world. They just do not understand that Jesus left heaven and came here to pay for their sins. See, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and I hope each one here has. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he's delivered you from the power of sin. He took you out of the kingdom of Satan and put you in the kingdom of his dear son. But see, those who haven't had this experience, who have not had the born-again experience, sit in darkness. So Christ came in order to show people 
their need for him. Their need to have their sin dealt with. Um, Christ came to deliver us from the power of sin and from darkness. That's the point of the passage. And likewise, uh, we as believers, this is not going to be easy to say, but this is true, and I, I think you will agree with me, that we need to be careful about sin as well. We need to pray for one another and encourage one another. And so therefore, if you saw that I was in sin, it would be wise for you to come to me and say, you know, I see something in your life that should be dealt with. Because Jesus Christ came to give light to those who sit in darkness. You say, well, but, but you've trusted Christ, so you're in the kingdom of Christ. Yes, but I need to be very careful as a believer that I don't fall into the trap of sin. It, it's great when you can give someone else the permission in your life to encourage you in an area that you might be faltering in or even where there might be sin in the life. And the basis for that was Psalm 139, verse 24. The psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Search me, O God, know my heart. We as believers, we're, we're not going to be sinlessly perfect, but God can help us to deal with sin in our lives because he wants us to live in good fellowship with him. He wants us to enjoy his blessing. Proverbs 28:19 says, He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Very quickly, the second statement that is mentioned in verse 79 here, that Christ, the Anatole, the day spring from on high, the, the sunrise, not only to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, but to guide our feet in the way of peace. Christ came in order that we might see, you see, he gives light. In order, in order that we might see his will for our lives. He wants to continue to direct our steps. And sometimes we need redirection of our steps. We need to uh, have our feet guided into the way of peace. And of course that would be peace with God. Uh, the Lord is concerned about you and me and our personal plans. Look at that phrase again. You have to let these phrases uh, strike you carefully. To give light to those who sit in darkness. We dealt with that. But secondly, to guide our feet in the way of peace. It's a wonderful thing to be able to pray to the Lord and ask him to guide us. Um, Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way. Listen to the second part of this verse. Proverbs 16.9 A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's why sometimes you have plans and the Lord kind of changes those plans for you. Because he wants you, if you are in fellowship with him, he wants you to be found in the way of peace. He wants you to experience his guidance and blessing. And that's why we should always pray. Uh, for direction from the Lord. Like the psalmist did, Psalm 119, verse 133, he said, Order my steps in your word, and let not sin have dominion over me. Order my steps in your word. Lastly, 2 Corinthians 11:14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now remember, Satan is the leader over the kingdom of darkness, but he dis 
disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, everything you hear in the area of religion may not be spiritual light that comes from God. It could be spiritual darkness, even though it's religion. You see, we need to be very careful to allow the Lord to guide us taking the things that we're concerned about and holding them up to the light of God's word. I'll try to illustrate this for you, but I want to give you the reference. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of your words gives light. Now, this is very important. There are some things that you may be asked to do as a believer, one who knows Christ, and you might think, well, this this is going to be good. But it could be very bad and harmful for you. It could come out of the kingdom of darkness. Very important. The psalmist said, the entrance of your words gives light. And so the point is, we as believers need to hold up whatever we're asked to do, whatever someone wants us to do, we hold it up to the light of God's word and say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? In fact, it was the prophet Isaiah who said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And boy, do we see that today. Wow. Government in the United States feels it's okay and legal to take the life of an infant in the womb. They're dead wrong. There's forgiveness for anyone who seeks it. Who's taken the life of an infant in the womb. But that's dead wrong. That's darkness. And we had political leaders, political parties, who say it's okay to do that. It's darkness. It comes from the kingdom of darkness. Lastly, Jesus said, not only I am the light of the world, but he said, you are the light of the world to his disciples, to us. In fact, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The Lord wants you to be one who shares the light of Jesus Christ. And it could be just the statement when you're going through this week where you say to someone, you know, it's a beautiful season of the year. It's awesome that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and came here, was born of a virgin lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for you and me. Oh, boy. How that pleases the Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God wants to use us to be lights. Uh, We found this little statement on the Internet from Ann Voskamp, Christian Bible teacher. And she said this, This is the season to look at the light, to be the light, to be a life poker, to poke holes in the darkness and stroke an ardent flame of light, to actually live light. That's what she said. It's very good. Remember, Jesus Christ came as the light of the world, and then he says to you and me, you are the light of the world. You see, there you have a sphere of influence where you work, your neighborhood, your family, your friends. And within that sphere of influence, God wants you and he wants me in my sphere 
to be a light. I like what John Maxwell said, and I'll close with this. He wrote a book, and I feel every man should read it, women too, who are interested in leadership. It's called The 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader. And it's very, very helpful. John Maxwell, he said this. He's got a chapter on generosity, and he said this. Your candle loses nothing when it lights another one. I'm going to repeat it. Your candle loses nothing when it lights another. So therefore, when you share your knowledge of Jesus with somebody else, God may well come into their life or lives and give them life and take them out of the kingdom of darkness where they don't know what does God want? What, what are all these religions about? What does God expect of me? Jesus is the light of the world. So when you share your knowledge of Jesus, that may be what God will use to take someone you know and love out of the kingdom of darkness and put them in the kingdom of his dear, glorious son. And let's not forget that little phrase where Satan has no authority over your life at all. Let's pray together.